as I went over the passage we are going to go over today, the Lord spoke this to me. I want you guys to close your eyes and just kind of imagine. Think about the darkest place you've ever been. You look around and there's nothing to see, nothing to grasp onto. There's nowhere to turn. In every direction, it's the same pitch blackness. It scares you, but this is the world we live in. People are living in pitch blackness. They reach out in front of them, and they can't see their own hand because it is so black. But all of a sudden, some imperceivable distance away, there is a glimmer, something visible, for the first time in a long time. At first, they just stare at it, astounded by its beauty and existence. Then a realization occurs to them. They can move toward this light. Something about it is beckoning them towards it, to follow it. And as they get closer to the light, two things start to happen. First, they can begin to see themselves. They look down and realize what a mess they are. They see the blood on their hands, the rips in their clothes, and the scars that engulf their body. Many trip out of distraction, lose their balance, and fall, maybe never to get back up again. But some look back up and notice the light again. This light they're running towards, it's beautiful, the most beautiful thing they have ever seen. Not only is it beautiful, but it is strong and powerful. It washes over them, and they realize they need this light. This is something they cannot live without. And in that moment, they see. They look up again, and there's a man there. His name is Jesus. His arms are open, and he is smiling, waiting to embrace his sons and daughters. This is the light of the world. For the third year in a row, our family will prepare our hearts for a celebration of the coming King by walking through the Advent season together. I can't read through my glasses. It says, the word Advent simply means the arrival of a noble person, thing, or event. Advents have been celebrated from as early as the 5th century church and was made popular by the great reformer, Martin Luther. The first Advent was the first coming of our Lord Jesus when he came as the perfect God-man, as redemption for our sins. The second advent will be Jesus' second arrival, or coming, when he will return in power and glory and restore all things new. The advent season is one of preparation, preparing our hearts to receive all that Christ has to offer. Advent begins next Sunday, December 3rd, and finishes at our Christmas candlelight service on December 24th. How are we preparing our hearts, our homes, our family, our neighborhood, our community, the world, to, to be ready to celebrate his first coming? Because if we are not prepared to celebrate Christ's first coming, how can we be prepared to celebrate his second coming? To help us prepare, we have intentionally planned daily readings, activities, and questions that center around his first coming. We pray it helps us truly celebrate the real reason the season we are entering to. There are daily readings, activities, and questions for personal reflection and family discussion for each day beginning Sunday 12-3 on this red handout. <laughs> this month-long event is an excellent time to build new habits or strengthen existing ones, both individually and as a family. You are encouraged to engage in the daily readings and discussion questions that will be provided each week, even if you don't do the activities centered around the Advent wreath. As we prepare for Christmas and all God has in store for us this new year, look to make this season one for the ages in the following ways. Listen for God's voice. Eliminate distractions and don't allow the stress of the Christmas season to distract you from what is really important. Simplify your life. Be intentional in your planning. Spend time on things that matter. Be still and listen to God's voice.
Notice God's hand. Reflect on this past year. Perhaps you have been delivered from financial difficulty or illness through an unforeseen miracle. Or maybe this year has been a time of suffering or relationship disasters. How has God carried you through all these things? Maybe it has been a time of great blessing and reward. Either way, turn it to praise to Him. Determine God's will. Ask God to guide you in how to prepare for the advent of His Son. Work for God's glory. Plan intentional ways you, your family, and the family of God might shine as light as a great lighthouse for the gospel this season and in the coming year. Today, we light the Christ's candle, the light of the world. Let's pray. God, as we think about this Advent season, God, I just pray that um, our hearts and minds would be prepared. Lord, you could have used any way to tell us about yourself, but you chose us, imperfect people, people that aren't right without you. God, we thank you for what you're doing in our lives and in this community and in this family, the church here at Cornerstone. God, we just pray for the church and the world that it would shine your light brightly as this season comes upon us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Morris family. Awesome job. Way to get us started. I love this time of year. We kind of intentionally are transitioning um, from the series that we're in in John for a season, in the Gospel of John, um, into this Advent season so that Christmas, his first Advent, doesn't just sneak up on us. And so we've been doing this for now for the last few years. Today we are going to be in John, and we're going to, this will be our last um, message in the Gospel of John until after until New Year's, actually, or New Year's Eve. Um, if you want to open up your Bibles to John chapter 8, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. We have um, them available for you to have, to keep if you need one, or just to borrow for today. Just raise your hand until someone puts it in it. Um, we started this series back in September with the passage, John 20, 21, where he says, Peace I give to you as my Father sent me, so I send you. And we're going to see today that he was sent as the light of the world, and that was um, what the Morris family was getting us started with. But we are called to be a light, and you guys are doing a great job. Before we jump into the Word, I want to say you guys have just done a great job already this season, whether it was the three different toy drives that we did before Thanksgiving, um, just the activities um, that I hear people engaging in and planning for their own neighborhood Christmas Under the Stars events, um, that they're planning to do as outreaches in their community. We also have the event coming up, the parade, the hometown Christmas parade that the city of Glendale is putting on to raise high the name of Jesus and partnering with them in that. The food drive, the cans are in the back. So um, next week, if you didn't bring them today, bring your um, can, stack your cans, post it online, um, and, and um, let's beat hunger here in the West Valley because that's where all that canned food is going to go. But I just wanted to say, you guys are doing a great job of being the light of the world. Often I feel like I walk away from here on Sundays feeling like I've just beat you guys up Sunday, Sunday after Sunday, and you guys deserve better than that because you are doing a great job. But I'll probably beat you up again today. So, um, yeah, just, 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 I've just got to be real. So today's message is entitled, Sent as the Light of the World, and we're in a season where we get to really be open and celebrate that light of the world. It's all around us in a lot of different ways, but with a little bit of work, we can turn it towards Christ. We can turn the season that this is really about back towards Jesus, which is where our culture has migrated away from. But before I ask you the question of the day, I just want to ask you a quick question about the light of the world. Why are we scared of the dark? I mean, most of us as children, we're afraid of the dark. If you have little ones at home, maybe they, maybe they want to leave a light on in their room or they want the door left open. Um, you know, um, the reading that Kyle wrote, I thought was so, such a good picture of that. If you've ever been somewhere that is pitch black, really, where you can see nothing, that, that is a very disconcerting feeling. 
When we were down in the Grand Canyon hike few, uh, last month and, and somebody went back into the cave of the domes, it's called, and you can go back in there like hundreds of yards. And you get back there and you turn off all the lights and there is no light, like none. Like you'll hit your face with your hand because you can't tell. You lose all sense of, of perception because the darkness is so real. Now here's the difference. We have the ability just with a flashlight or a match to turn the light on. But what if you're in a place where you couldn't? And that was the world Jesus was walking in. They didn't have just the ability, many of them, to just turn the light on whenever they wanted physically. But he, we're going to talk more about how turning the light on spiritually. What if, what if you're in that dark place even spiritually? All right, and we're going to talk about that as well today. The world is getting darker. It just is. Right? The, dark, the reason we're scared of the dark is because darkness is real. And I'm not just talking about like light, the absence of light. I'm talking about spiritual darkness is real. And it's getting darker. But guys, the darker the place is, the more opportunity and power there is for light to shine. That's what we, we as Christians have got to get over this idea that we need to wring our hands about what's going on in our country, what's going on in our world, and go, no, this, this provides us greater opportunity to be the light. Because when we were in that dark cave and there's pitch blackness, one little candlelight feels like it is just like a, a blazing inferno because the darkness is so dark. Whereas that same candle in a lukewarm place just gets washed out with everything else. And I believe part of why God is allowing what is happening in our country and in our world to happen is because he is differentiating the light from the darkness so the real light can shine brighter. So here's the question for the day. Are you living out the power of the light that is in you? Are you living out the power of the light that is in you? Let me pray as we open up the word. Father, I thank you for the truth that you are the light of the world. Lord, I pray now that the light of your word, that you tell us is a lamp and a light unto our feet, Lord, that it would illuminate our eyes, that our eyes would be open, that our ears would be attentive to what you would say, that you would, um, that you would enlighten our hearts with the truth of who you are now, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. So John chapter 8, we're going to jump right into John chapter 8. I'm going to pick it up in verse 12 actually, of John 8, and it's where we left off last week, and we're going to look at three different areas of the light of the world, and the first one is that Jesus is literally the light, that Jesus is literally the light of life, and if we pick it up in verse 12, he says this, then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world, he who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. Guys, this is the second of the seven I am statements that are found throughout the Gospel of John. A few weeks ago, we saw how he said, I am the bread of life. And then last week, we, or two weeks ago, um, Dan taught on how the, the, the people of the time were going, nobody has ever spoken like this. What is this guy talking about? They keep asking him, who are you? Who are you? Who are you? So this is another one of those places where he is IDing himself. And it's another one of his self-descriptors. He's saying, I am the light of the world. But this picture of light... Of, of, of light and the word and God all being one thing is a thread that goes throughout scripture. One of the scriptures I quote a lot, well we started the second week of the series in John 1, 1, he says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God and all things came into being through him and nothing that has come into being has come into being apart from him. And then what does it say? It says in him was the 
light, and the light was the life of men. Now, sorry, the other way around. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And then it says in verse 5, and the light shined in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. But that, that's where John starts his gospel, and, and that's a repeated theme throughout the gospel. But John chapter 1 is just a mirror of Genesis 1. Do you remember what Genesis 1 says? In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God what? God created the heavens and the earth. And then it says, it says that the, the earth was formless and void, and darkness hovered over the depths. And it says that the Spirit of the Lord hovered over creation. And then it says, and then it says what is it? How, did, how did God create light? And God said, let there be light. And he saw that the light was good, and he called the light day and the darkness night one day. Here's the deal. There was light on day one, day two, day three. There was no sun, S-U-N, until day four. How does that happen? Because the light of the world, Jesus Christ, was present in that place at creation as the light of the world. That theme runs throughout Scripture. What is King David, one of my, one of my favorite people in Scripture, King David writes many of the Psalms. Psalm 27, he says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Of whom shall I be afraid? Psalm 119, 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. If you remember, um, one of your daily readings this week was Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. What did he look like that was different about his appearance than what the disciples were used to? Peter, James, and John. What, did they, what happened to Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration? He was glowing. He was lit up. Because he is the light of the world. And I love how not only does Genesis start this way in Genesis 1, but the end of your Bible ends this way. In Revelation 21, when, when Jesus comes back at his second advent, and he makes everything right, and he restores all things and makes it new, what, what it says in Revelation 21, it's going to come up on the screen, it says, and the city, so the new heaven and the new earth are coming down, and the city has no need of a sun or a moon to shine on it, for the glory of God has illumined it, and its light was the Lamb. The Lamb of God has always been literally the light of the world. Look at your be in community. It's on the back of your connecting points that you're hopefully taking notes on. It's the so what of what we're talking about and how it's one of the things that we talk about here about connecting to Christ and being in community. It says the Apostle John writes this, Dear friends, we, have we are already God's children. So he's saying you're already his. He's talking to us. J John is speaking to us in 1 John. But he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is. Not as he was the first time, but as he really is, as the light of the world. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to melt our brains. It says, we live in a space between the already accomplished and the not yet fully realized. So we're already saved, but we're not fully like, sanctified. It says, but he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. And then he left us here for a purpose. And that purpose is to be the light of the world for him. This season, make plans to get together with the family of God in ways that your gospel light can shine for those who will still live, who still live in the darkness and don't even know it yet. Guys, this is where we get the picture, and if you can put it up now, the picture of the lighthouse where we talk about, like, this is sort of our logo for our church, is this idea that, we are the, that he is the cornerstone, and as we are connected to Christ, plugged into his power, his light shines through us to a world that needs to be warned that destruction is coming. And that's what lighthouses 
were designed for. Let's pick it up back in John in verse 13. So they keep asking him this question. Because I want because this is a real thing. This really happened in history. This is not some theory that we're, that we're looking at or just some story that John is telling us. He is giving us an account of what's going on. So set the scene. He is in the temple. That's where we left Jesus. He's in the temple. And the Pharisees are, are constantly coming at him to try to trap him. And we saw that last week when he was talking about the woman being stoned. It says, so the Pharisees said to him, you are, you te- you are testifying about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered and said to them, even if I testify about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I came from or where I am going. He is saying, he's basically saying to them, I know who I am. Do you know who you are? But let's, let's make that more than just about Jesus and the Pharisees. Do you know who you are? He's, Jesus is saying, I, I, you can come at me all you want because I know who I am. I am confident in who my dad is. I am confident in who I am to him. I am confident that he is who he, who he says I, he is. I am confident that I am who he says I am. But do we believe that? You, we cannot be the light unless we have a confident assurance of our salvation. How can we possibly be the light that he wants us to be? Unless you truly believe that you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why? That, he, that we might proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. That's 1 Peter 2.9. Do we believe that? As Christians, we should. Verse 15. You judge according to the flesh, and I'm not judging anyone. But even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For I am not alone in it, but I and the Father who sent me. Even in your law, it has been written that a testimony of two men is true. I am he who testifies about myself, and the Father who sent me testifies about me. He's, he's giving them some basis for his, for his testimony by saying, look, Deuteronomy 17 and 19 says that you have to have two witnesses. You've got to. You've got me and you've got my father. You just don't know who my father is. Verse 19. So they were saying to him, where is your father? So they're still clueless. Jesus answered and said, you know neither me nor my father. Now get this, get this sentence. If you knew me, you would know my father also. Do you see how one, he blows right past the, we've, we've seen this over and over in the Gospel of John. The Pharisees keep wanting to come to him with details. Well, your testimony is not true because two more witnesses and blah, blah, blah. And he blows right past that and he goes, if you knew me, you would know God. And he's going to get to why here in just a minute. But guys, let me, let me, let me downshift that to us again. Because as children of God, I mean, we're a far cry from Jesus, uh, chief among sinners, but we are children of God. If people know you, they should know your father. Right? As a father of three daughters, I, my, my desire, and this is long before I became a pastor, I would tell them, you are not only, you're, you are to be exceptional, not just because, and this is the primary reason, because you are representing Christ, but even before they knew Christ, you are representing this family, and you are an ambassador for us, your mom and I, when you're out. And, and they should know what we stand for as a family just based on being with you. Now here's the question. 
Do we function that way? If, if, so it's the 26th of November, so Christmas is less than a month away, right? Don't everybody start thinking about your shopping list now. Christmas is less. If all anyone did was follow you around between now and December 24th, would you lead them to Christ? If all anybody did was follow you around 24-7, would they know your father because they know you so well now? You know, I, I can't say that. I, I, I know I should, but that should be our prayer for the season that we're in. That should be our prayer for every season that we're in. Verse 20, first half of verse 20. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. Guys, it's, I, I want this, this, it, it's worth taking the time here to tell you that Jesus set this up so perfectly. When Dan taught a couple weeks ago, he was talking about, he taught a little bit about how they were, they were in the middle of the Feast of Booths, or the Feast of Tabernacles, or it's called Sukkot in, in Hebrew. And it was this yearly feast. And what they would do at this yearly feast was they would light these big candles for, seven, for six days. It was a week-long feast. He was in Jesus was in what's called the temple court. So if, here's a diagram of the temple, and, and there's the Holy of Holies there up at the top, and then there's the court of the priests and the altar, and then there's this place that was called the treasury or the women's court. That is the place where Jesus is standing when he's having this conversation. That's what it says in Scripture. So now so no, remember that. He is in the treasury talking to these people. There were porticos around. People are listening to them. At the end of the Feast of Tabernacles. But here's what's interesting about that. If you, if you look at verse look at if you, if you look at verse 37 of John, of John chapter 7, it says, "Now on the last day of this is, this is kind of where we left Jesus off. Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, "If anyone thir- is thirsty, let him come to me and drink." He's been having this ongoing dialogue with them since then. Here's what's interesting. The feast of Ta- this feast of Sukkot, the feast of Tabernacles. They had these giant in this courtyard. It was a symbol of the pillar of fire that would lead what they were celebrating. Why it was called the feast of Tabernacles was they were celebrating and remembering how God would lead them through the wilderness for forty years, and at night there was this pillar of fire. It was the light for them. It was their light to lead them along the way. Jesus is standing in the courtyard of the temple, where what they had is they had these seven giant menorahs. These things were so big that they had to have um, pictures of, or they had to have um, ladders to light them. The wicks of the menorahs were actually made from the robes of the priests that had gotten old. And for six nights in a row, they would take seven of these menorahs and they would light these candles. And, it, and, and here's one of the commentators said this, that the glow from the temple mount, because this was outside, the glow from the Temple Mount would not only light up the Temple and the Temple Mount, but the entire city of Jerusalem. Now, remember, now that's, it's hard for us to picture because so much is washed out in all the light that we have here, like the street lights and everything else, but they didn't have that there. And many of them couldn't afford lamps, oil, candles, things like that. So for six nights, they, were, they actually, at night, it was one of the few times of the year they could see at night. It gave them a sense of security, it, right? We talked about being afraid of the dark. It, it made the darkness go away. Here's what's interesting. Based on what I just read, on the last day, on day seven of the feast, they would not light the candles. So, so in the moment that Jesus says, I am the light of the world, he is standing in the treasury and it's dark. And he's going, guys, 
that this, this sense of uneasiness that you feel right now, we can't really appreciate it, but the sense of unease that you feel right now, because it's the dark, you, you are now feeling the darkness for the first time in a week, I am the light of the world. As Kyle's writing said, that is where most of our world lives. They live in the reality that their world is dark. Spiritually, it's dark physically in many cases, and it's a darkness that can be felt. So when he says, I am the light of the world, he who follows me will not walk in darkness but have the light of life, it had a whole different feel than when we just sort of read that sentence in verse 12 and go, oh, okay, that's great. Guys, it's a picture of what's called the Shekinah glory of God. Right? It's for us, what we should, it's, it's, that, it's that picture of God is, this theme of God and light that goes throughout Scripture should be evident in us. There's a scene in Ezekiel chapter 10, I think it is, or maybe it's 18. No, it's 10, chapter 10, where the glory of God, this Ezekiel lived before Christ, set about 500 years before Christ. There's a scene where, where Ezekiel gets to see the Shekinah glory of God leave the temple. And then the temple gets destroyed by the Babylonians. And, it, and that Shekinah glory didn't come back until right now, the light of the world, the Shekinah glory of God is standing in the temple and they miss it. And how often do we? So he was literally the light of the world, the light of life. He was also eternally the light of life. Let's pick it back up in John 8 and verse, the second half of verse 20. It says, and no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. It's just a great reminder that, guys, Jesus didn't go to the cross on accident. It was planned. It was planned out by the Lord. Piper says this. John Piper says, evil human will does not frustrate but fulfills God's design. God is not up in heaven right now watching the darkness get worse, wringing his hands. He, Jesus will come back when God wants him to come back at exactly the right time. I just wish it were today. Verse 21. Then he said again to them, I go away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot, you cannot come. It's interesting that the word sin there is singular. It doesn't say die in your sins, not yet. It says sin, singular. Guys, they had the light of the law, but they did not have the light of life. They knew the word of God. They could, they could argue with him over the word of God, but they did not have it illuminated for them. That's what Paul talks about in Romans 1, where he, said, where he, talks, where he talks about how the, their foolish hearts had been darkened, and they began to worship the, create, the creature rather than the creator. That's ultimately what had happened here. The question I, I, I wonder when, when, I hear, when I read that in Romans 1, 21, where he says they worship the creature rather than the creator, I wonder what do we worship? What do I worship? Right now, in this moment, what are you thinking about? Stop and think. What are you thinking about? Jesus. You worship him. What if you're thinking about, oh, I forgot to record the Cardinals game. That's what you worship. In that moment, that's what you worship. Because worship is exactly what Dan described it as. It is when we turn our mind's attention and our heart's affection on him, praising him for who he is and what he's done. We all worship something. And we all worship many things. What's got your heart? Because what had their heart was they were trying to get rid of Jesus. Verse 22, so the Jews were saying, surely he will not kill himself, will he? Since he says where I am going, you cannot come. So they're just missing the whole thing and trying to get back to details. Verse 23, and he was saying to them, you are from below and I am from above. You are of this world and I am not of this world. 
Therefore I said to you that I that you will die in your sins. Now there it's singular. Or now, now it's plural. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Guys, do you see what he's saying there? I mean, this is sort of a wordplay that he has. He says, he says you're going you're gonna to die in your sin. What is the sin? The, sing, the singular sin is rejecting who he is. And he says, and then he, and then he clarifies it right here. Unless you believe that I am he, you're going to die in your sins. Now, I've taught on this many times, but I'm, it's worth taking the time to talk about this again. That word there for I am he, in, in the real Greek, it says, unless you believe that I am, ego ami. He could have said either one of those words. Unless you believe ego, unless you believe me. He could have said, unless you, he said, could have said, unless you believe, unless you believe on me, unless you believe in me. But he adds them together, and it is the form of the word I am. He is saying to them right now, unless you believe that I am the great I am, you will die in your sin. Why? What's the antidote for death? He's saying you are going to die unless you believe this. Unless you believe what? Unless you believe that I am God. Why? Because anything short of him being God makes the sacrifice insufficient. Of course, he's referring back to, in, in Exodus 3 and 4, it talks, it's the scene where Moses is speaking to God on the mountain, and he says, who, who, do I send, who, who do I tell him sent me? And he says, tell them I am sent you. But that's not the only place in Scripture the word I am is used. The Septuagint, which was written around 70 AD, that was the first Greek manuscript of the Old Testament. So it was the Old Testament translated into Greek, translates Isaiah 43 this way. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he, ego ami, that I am. Before me there is no God formed and there is no one after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and there is no Savior besides me. It is God the Father and God the Son and God the Spirit, the Trinity, this great mystery that, that is being spoken of 700 years before Jesus was born. He is saying, unless you believe that I, I am, I am, am the only Savior. That's not probably English, but that's okay. I am is the only one who can save, is what Isaiah 43 is telling us. Look at verse 25. So they were saying to him, who are you? So again, they're still not, who are you? And Jesus said, what have I been saying to you from the beginning? Now what's interesting is, and the ESV does a little better job of translating this hard Greek passage. It's not really clear in the Greek whether this was a question or a statement. It's probably more of a statement than a question. When they say, who are you? He's like, this, I'm, I'm who I've been saying I am all along. You guys are just missing it. And then look at what he keeps going. He says, I have many things to speak to you and to judge concerning you. But he who sent me is true, and the things which I have heard from him, these I speak to the world. They did not realize that he was speaking to them about the Father. Guys, there's a great lesson here, and again, we've seen this in Jesus over and over in this gospel so far. He's saying, don't argue, and I'm gonna, we don't use, I won't use the word. I was going to use the I word. We don't use the I word. Don't argue with cynics and antagonistic skeptics. It's not worth the time. 
He doesn't waste time arguing with these guys because they're not open to the truth. Guys, it doesn't mean you shut them out. It doesn't mean you kick them to the curb. It means you just be Jesus to them. Love them. Serve them. Pray for them. But don't waste time arguing with them about trifles, about details, hoping that you're going to convince them into the kingdom. It isn't going to happen. Look at your engage in the call. It's the now what? It says, how does knowing he is the great I am shine a brighter light on his being the literal, eternal, and sacrificial light of the world? How does this impact how you see his description of you? This is Jesus speaking in Matthew 5. You are the light of the world. A city set, high, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. How can, you show off to, how can you show him off to those in your life that have yet to see the light? Don't stop praying, don't stop sharing, don't stop shining that they might come out of the darkness and into his marvelous light with you. And that brings us to our last point. So he was literally the light of life. He's always been the light from the beginning of Genesis 1 to Revelation. He is eternally the light. He always will be the light and the only way we can get into eternity with him is to know that he is the great I am, the light of the world. But guys, that can only happen if... Those first two can only, be, only happen for us individually if, there was, if something happened. And what happened is, the sacrifice, is that he sacrificially brings the light of life. He couldn't just say, I am the light of the world, now you are. Something had to bridge the gap between him being the light of the world and his light living in us and us becoming the light of the world, like Matthew 5 says. Something had to bridge the gap, and it was his sacrifice on a cross. Look at what he says. So Jesus said to them, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am. He says, I am he in your Bible, but it actually says, ego ami. He says, when the Son of Man is lifted up, you will know I am. What does that mean, when the Son of Man is lifted up? What is he referring to? He uses that phrase multiple times in Scripture. He's talking about what? The crucifixion. He is saying once the price is paid. Right? In Luke 24, after the crucifixion, before the, resur- before the ascension, it says, and he opened, this is to his disciples, who were, still, who were about as clueless as the Pharisees, right? And it says, and he opened their minds to understanding the scripture. Because apart, until the price had been paid, the Holy Spirit wasn't going to come into them. They couldn't possibly read and understand the Word of God apart from the Spirit of God. Because the Spirit of God takes the Word of God and applies it to our hearts. And that's ultimately what happened at Pentecost. But let's finish up our passage, the second half of verse 28. And I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak these things as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. For I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Because that's a sweet passage, right? I mean, it's Jesus. So he's, he's, it's almost like he's disengaging from them and he's going, I need to remind myself, my father is always with me. Except for one time. And it's the time he just referred to about the Son of Man being lifted up. Right? Because a very short time later, we're three years into this now. John is fast forwarded to the, towards the end of his ministry. He does ne- he ne- Jesus never leaves Jerusalem again. He will ultimately go to the Mount of Olives, and he will pray, let this cup pass from me. Why did he pray that prayer? Was he all of a sudden afraid of the cross? No. You know what he was afraid of? Being separated from his father for the only time in his eternal existence. Why? How do we know that? Because what does it say? In, in 
If you're taking notes, in Matthew 27, 46, it says in the ninth hour, as he's up on the cross, it says, Eli, Eli, lemasabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What's going on in that moment? What's going on is the reverse of what we just read in verse 29, where he says, and he never leaves me alone. In that moment, because he had to, God the Father placed all the sins that I have ever committed on him and turned his back and said, because no darkness can dwell in God. And for the first and only time in his eternal existence, he felt utterly alone. Why was he willing to do it? Because it had to be done in order for us to get his light in us. He could not just say, I am the light of the world. Now you guys go be the light. He said, I am the light of the world and I will sacrifice my life that you can be the light of the world too. Take a minute right now in the quiet of this place. On the back of your paper, there's a, there's a place for you to, you can write down. What is the Spirit of God saying to you about that? And what does Jesus want you to do about it? In John 14, 18, so right before he leaves the upper room after the Last Supper to go to the mountain to pray to his Father, to beg him for another way, then be sep being separated, listen, listen to how his mind is on us. Knowing what agony awaits him in being alone, he says this to us, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. See, here's the beauty. Because of his willingness to sacrifice, we never need be alone. The author of Hebrews says, he himself said, I will never, no, never leave you or forsake you. We never have to have that moment he had on the cross because he had that moment on the cross for us. So in light of that, are you living out the power of the light of life in you? When you recognize that the depth of the sacrifice that it took for that seed, that light, to burn inside of you, the question, it compels me to ask myself, so what am I doing with that? Let's pray. So Father, I thank you that as you spoke these things in the temple, many came to believe. That's because the Spirit of God was taking the Word of God and it was convicting the hearts of people. And I pray right now in this place that that would be true. That that would be true of us, not just here in the next few minutes, but as we leave here. That, that it took the death of your Son, it took the extinguishing of that light of the world for that brief time so that your light could shine in us. Lord, may we not care about how dark the darkness is, and may we care more about how brightly we're shining. Not because of anything we can do or anything that we did or because of anything I can walk out of here and try to do better, but because your sacrifice took care of it. And may we live in the light-sustaining beauty of your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.